Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. In the programme this week, we talk tactics with the Breakers guard Daryl Corletto as the New Zealanders plot the defence of their ANBL title. We talk to the Hurricanes lock and former All Black Jason Eaton about his desire to reclaim the black jersey. We pick the brain of Bike New Zealand's high-performance manager Mark Elliott after the track cycling world champs in Melbourne. We catch up with women's K1-200 kayaking world champion Lisa Carrington as the New Zealand canoe squad head to Europe for their final preparations before the London Olympic Games. And we speak to the West Coast Fever and former Australian netball coach Norma Plummer about her challenging new role. The Breakers basketballers have drawn first blood in their ANBL Grand Final Series against Perth after a thrilling 104-98 overtime victory at a sold-out Victor Arena. The defending champs now take a 1-0 lead in the best-of-three series, heading into Game 2 in Perth next Friday night. The series pits the league's top two teams against each other in a dream Grand Final. Both sides are known for their aggressive, physical style, and Game 1 lived up to its billing as a war, with the match being described as one of the most epic contests in ANBL history. The Breakers know winning Game 2 in Perth will be their biggest challenge of the season, and they may have to do it without forward Tom Abercrombie, whose ankle injury forced him to miss Game 1. I caught up with guard Daryl Corletto as the Breakers prepare for a Wildcats backlash and talked about how the New Zealanders would cope without their talismatic star. It's the beauty of this team, um, you know, the depth that we have. Uh, Leon's come on the last couple of weeks and played really well, so... Um, you know, we've got enough guys that could cover him, but uh, obviously, you know, we need, we need Tommy out there. If, uh, if we're really going to win this thing, um, even if he's at 50%, we still need him out there. He really is quite a, I guess, talismatic player for you guys. Yeah, he is. He's, uh, he's one of those guys that can change a game uh, at both ends of the floor. You know, give you 20 points and he can lock down their best player and uh, get the big block, the big rebound uh, right when we need it. What about Leon? Are you confident in his abilities to step up? Yeah, definitely. Leon's, uh, Leon's played well. Um, last couple of weeks he's shown that and you know it was real handy the last game in the Gold Coast um, when he got to play about 30 minutes um, bit of a playoff field for that game and uh, yeah, he, he's played well the last couple of weeks and the big break between game one and two obviously that gives a few of the guys that are carrying niggles a chance to recover and heal in time good thing on, in your mind? Uh, no, no not really I prefer to get him over uh, try and get all three games done in a week um, one of those things, I guess. If you if you if you win the first game, you really want to play that second game straight away. Um, you have the momentum, but you know if you drop that first game, it's going to be a long eight days. Um, <clears throat> it's a lot of travel to get over to Perth. You talk about that travel; it's never an easy place for any side in any league to go to. Obviously, uh, the travel is that the only reason that makes it tough is parochial crowd. Yeah, it's a great crowd. It's probably the uh, the best stadium to play in. Um, but yeah, with us, it's uh, obviously my first year here, and the first time we played them over there, it was um, seven o'clock game, which was midnight New Zealand time. So that definitely makes it makes a big difference. But um, there's no excuses; they've got to come over here. So, I mean, uh, yeah, just like I said before, it just makes this first game uh, really important. Obviously, very physical games against the Wildcats. You're probably expecting nothing less. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's the way they play. It's the way they've played for three or four years, and uh, you know, it's it's full credit to them. Um, they play hard. They, they get after it. And, 
you know they're also about ten players deep, so you know they just keep coming with uh, you know with, with hard bodies and, uh, and and keep the pressure on. So, but I think we've got the uh, the veteran group that can uh, handle that. No love lost between the two sides, but that makes for a good final series. Yeah, it'll be a war. Uh, it'll definitely be a war out there. Um, you know, the breakers like to play the uh, the physical game as well. So. It might be a scrappy series, but uh, yeah, the team that uh, does all the effort things will de- definitely win. Now, obviously, like you say, they've got an aggressive defensive style, but what else about their play makes them a particularly tough opponent for the Breakers? They just play so hard, you know. They just uh, at both ends. They're, they're aggressive on the offensive end and defensively. They're you know right up there with the Breakers as the best best defensive team uh, in the league. And yeah, their crowd uh, in their stadium definitely makes it a tough place to play. But um, yeah, they, they just got good players all round. Um, no real superstar. I mean, Kevin Lish is, is you know MVP of the league, but um, you know he's, uh, he's definitely a tough cover. But they've also got you know six or seven other guys that can do uh, do a good job. And consistently, the the top two sides throughout the year, it's it's good obviously to have them in the final. Yeah, it's worked out well. Um, you know, it didn't look that way for a while, uh, but uh, it's definitely worked out well. And. Uh, you know, it's the way it should be. I think the two best teams play off in, uh, in a three-game series. Do you think having to come through that bit of adversity last week w- will be beneficial to the side compared to, I say, winning the first two games and coming through cruising? Yeah, definitely. Um, now you look back at it, it's, it's probably a good thing. Um, it kind of woke us up a little bit. Um, we shouldn't, you know, that shouldn't have to happen. But um, yeah, these things happen, and uh, yeah, definitely woke us up. And uh, yeah, you won't see another performance like that uh, in this series. In terms of Tom potentially being after, how does that affect uh, what you have to do? Yeah, it's, um, it's you know it's one of those things. It's the same as when CJ was out and uh, said wasn't it 100. percent It's um, you know other guys have to step up and be a bit more aggressive. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things, you know, Tommy. But also on the defensive end, Tommy would have guarded, uh, or he still might guard Kevin Lish. So if he's not there, it puts uh, a lot more pressure on guys like said myself, CJ, and Leon to come in and uh, and to play that role. Um, so yeah, so we just everyone else just needs to pick up uh, maybe 20% and uh, we'll be okay. If Tommy can't play, do you think you'll be given the role of defending this, or do you think it'll be mixed up around the, the place? Yeah, it'll be mixed up. I think uh, if he doesn't play, I think Sed will start on him um, because Sed actually guarded him in the fourth quarter over in Perth uh, last time we played him and did a really good job. So it'll be one of those things, you know. But we need Sed at the other end as well, so we'll just have to rotate players through and uh, we'll see what happens. But I'm guessing the uh, coaching staff will have a meeting and try and figure something out. A chance to defend your title more. Pre- Pressure or less than if you had or hadn't won one last year. Uh, I think it's a bit more. Um, I think it's uh, you know I've played in I played in four grand finals in a row, uh, and we, we won one, lost one, won one, lost one. So you definitely get the other team's uh, best shot, and we've had that all year, and we've we've, uh, we've handled that all year. So it's definitely tougher to uh, to go back to back. But um, I think we've got the squad and, uh, and the veterans and the leaders who can uh, get us over the line. Daryl Corletto. The Hurricanes' lock Jason Eaton hasn't played for the All Blacks since 2009, but the Taranaki stalwart says he's ready to win back the black jersey. The 29-year-old's international career has been halted by injury on several occasions, and despite being in the national side for four years from 2005 to 2009, he's won just 17 caps. After a horror year in 2011 in which the Hurricanes finished well down the table and coach Mark Hammett cleared the deck of several senior players, Eaton almost found himself without a Super Rugby contract. He was also left out of the All Blacks World Cup squad and had to watch from the sidelines as Graham Henry's men finally won back the William Webb Ellis Trophy. However, Eaton told Barry Guy that after some inner reflection and a return to full health from a problematic knee injury, he's eyeing 2012 as the year to reclaim his All Blacks spot. I'm falling over the knee injury, sort of back to sort of 100% uh, physicality, you know, physically uh, wise. Um, and just just the way the group's gone, you know, the Hurricanes here have sort of been building, and, and I'm enjoying it a lot more. 
uh, than last year. Uh, the environment's great, and I've uh, got to keep on my toes with these young guys, trying to keep up with them. So, was was it last year? Uh, did you feel that uh, perhaps you know the World Cup and the injuries and those sorts of things? You sort of say, "Well, I'm going to want to make a mark again this week," or what, what was your attitude? Uh, well. I mean, it was just one about last year. You know, I had goals of trying to get back in the black side, and you know, I sort of ran out of time, and I wasn't playing well enough. I accepted that pretty pretty early on in the piece that you know, I wasn't playing well enough and didn't want it. So you know, I had a good break over over three months of World Cup. You know, lived, lived the life of a fan pretty much and cruised around following that. And then once I got back to work in November, was knuckle down, trying to get fit and back back to the, the player I know I can be and and had, you know potential that I've shown over the years and get back to there and I think it's just the opportunity has arisen and just keen to, keen to push the case. And I suppose in your position to stand out you just got to do the catch the ball you know, on the line out and push and those sorts of things which a lot of us perhaps don't observe that closely but those are the things that get you seen in a way? Yeah I mean yeah, first things first you've got to do the set piece and win, win line of ball and push in the scrum and take kickoffs and do that first and then can do all the grunt work around so the backs can run the ball, you know, like you look, look at the likes of Brad Thorne, he's been the probably the stalwart of the double back forward pack, you know. Um you know, he did all the unsung things, you know, hit rucks and you know, did all the all the graph work so others could shine in the loose forwards, you know, did all their, their work because he was doing his stuff. So yeah, that's that's sort of the aim, you know, do the, do that sort of job and let someone else carry the ball and score the try. So getting international recognition again is you know, something that you're obviously targeting? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, it's always been, been the goal um, to get back on that side. I feel like I've had a uh, rather disruptive run or career with the All Blacks. You know, I've been in a couple of years and then out with injuries and back in and haven't really put my mark on, on, the, on the black jersey. So that's I mean, always been the goal last, since, since the last injury in 20, 2010 is to get back in there and and um, you know, things quite haven't happened yet, but um, I think I'm on track now, which is which I'm very happy with. Yeah, actually, I just saw your name on the board there. 2009 was your last uh, outing, yeah. I think, for the for the All Blacks. So, so it's been a while, but you know, there's you know, there's um, well, I suppose under Steve Henson, you know, so it's all open again, isn't it, after last year? Yeah, I guess a new coach, I suppose. Um, but he's out of the old environment, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this seems to happen after every World Cup. There's sort of a new new batch and start fresh. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting. There's a few locks here, sort of in contention. So it'll be interesting to see who's in the mix. Hopefully, I'm there and in contention. Jason Eaton talking to Barry Guy. The New Zealand track cycling team returns from the World Champs in Melbourne this week, boasting their biggest ever medal haul at the event, but will it translate into Olympic success in London later this year? The team won five medals, one gold and four bronze, with Alison Shanks win in the women's 3,000 metres individual pursuit the highlight. However, that event, the same one Sarah Ulmer won gold in at Athens in 2004, is no longer on the Olympic schedule. Shanks will compete in the team's pursuit at London after they were beaten in the bronze medal ride in Melbourne. New Zealand's four other medals came in the men's team pursuit, men's team sprint, Simon van Valthoven in the 1000 metres time trial and Wesley Go in the individual pursuit. Van Valthoven also finished third in the Kieran but was relegated to sixth by the Commissaire for a race infraction. Stephen Hewson asked Bike New Zealand's high performance manager Mark Elliott how much of an indication these results are going into the London Games. If you take it across the board, they're um, sort of where we expect it to be. Um, it's always nice to uh, have a couple of uh, additional outstanding performances, and, and we did that. And I guess the pleasing thing is that we've seen um, you know, much, a large majority of the team 
produce performance uh, best over this competition. And um, you know, when you're putting PBs out uh, at a World Championships, that's all you can ask for. So um, you know, you look at that. Uh, that athletes can do that at a pinnacle event, then um, we'll be expecting them to uh, replicate the same or better in uh, in London. Uh, who were you particularly p- pleased with? <clears throat> oh, Simon Van Velthoven is, is one of the standouts. I mean, obviously he was uh, relegated in the, the final of the Kieran, but he put himself in a position to win a medal right from the outset. So uh, that was impressive, and, and he did the same in the kilo. You know, uh, the first Kiwi ever to um, go one minute flat, and um, you know. It was uh, you know, a shame he didn't end up holding that silver by about, I think, um, 34 hundredths of a second, and uh, that would have um, been the, you know, the second silver in the kilos for 40 years for New Zealand. So he he was a standout, and, and he performed at that level and taking some of the best on. So that was one standout performance, and I guess our, um, our team sprint also was uh, a standout performance of getting that medal ride for such a young team, and we know that uh, you know, they'll start dominating the sport in the next few years. There's a a bit of a, um, I suppose, a bottleneck, isn't there, when it comes to trying to sort that combination out? It is, and I mean, that's uh, that's what's making it so successful, and um, long may it uh, remain the same. You know, that's uh, the success that we're getting at the moment. When you get depth in the program, then you get um, athletes very competitive for the win and, and wanting to be in that team, and, and I guess that's a, a unique situation we're in. We've got uh, five guys who are all pushing for spots, and um, you know, it's uh, something we uh, need to use to our advantage. Would you expect a similar sort of success come London, medal-wise? I mean, and numbers. I mean, obviously, Alison Shanks' events not not there, but uh, other events. Well, it gives uh, gives us an indication we're on track, and I guess what you're looking for in a, a World Championship Olympic year is is gaining momentum, and you know this is a, a certainly a step up across the board for our team, and I think um, you know that that uh, shows that we're on track to, to winning medals in London, and and this is just the track program. You know, you've got a Take into account that uh, we've got some massive talent in the likes of Mark Willis and Sarah Walker and BMX and Linda Willemson and uh, Road Time Trial, who's been on the world podium for the last three years. So, you know, I think for, for Biking Z, our objectives are winning four Olympic medals, and, and uh, the performances over the last week have indicated we're on track for that. Luck t- plays a part, though, doesn't it? I mean, disappointing with, as you mentioned, Simon von Veldhoven and the, the Kieran. How, how much does luck play a part in it when it? When things like oh, that. well, that's uh, that's the nature of those uh, sports. You know, Kieran racing is um, you know six guys um, you know jostling for position, and and that's what makes the sport so exciting. So, I think um, the key thing is is uh, is consistency, and and that's what uh, an athlete like Simon's shown in, in a number of World Cups and, and the World Champs is that he's putting himself in position. Um, you know, we had a couple of lucky calls towards us, and that was one against us, and that's just the nature of uh, you know sport like that. How, how different is the Olympics going to be? Because, I mean, you've obviously got events where countries can only have one representative, and I, well, there was comments, wasn't there, from Chris Hoy talking about concerns o- o- over that. D- does it make it a little easier that w- when compared to something like the World Champs? Well, it does, and, um, you know, that's, uh, that's the reality, is that um, uh, the World Champs is, uh, you know, the, the depth of fields there because countries can have up to four competitors in, in sprint events, for example, is... Uh, Certainly not the case we'll see in, in the Olympics, where you're only allowed one um, athlete per discipline. So uh, from each country. So yeah, there's um, there's certainly some numbers that uh, will come into play there, and I guess that's again, you know, we need to um, look at that as an advantage for us. And you know, it's um, the Olympics is uh, the top end is going to be very very tough, but to get to that top end, there's, there's a chance the uh, the road could be a little easier compared to how you um, see a World Championship event unfold, where you have. You know, well over 50 men you know, vying for sprint qualifying.
and that's obviously an encouraging aspect from a New Zealand point of view anyway. Yeah, it is, but you know the reality is it's it's about performing on the day, and you know I think that's the you know, the pleasing side as we saw a number of our endurance guys putting out PBs. Um, you know Wesley Goff in the individual pursuit backed that up with some very strong performances in team pursuit. So it doesn't matter who's there; you've got to go and perform yourself and, and deliver to your um you know, your best capability on the day. And I guess that's what we're um, making sure it's all about in 16 weeks in London. Mark Elliott speaking to Stephen Hewson. And this is Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. The New Zealand canoe team head to Europe shortly for the upcoming World Cup season as they begin their final preparations for this year's London Olympic Games. The team, while yet to be rubber-stamped by the New Zealand Olympic Committee, includes six kayakers striving for medal success. Olympic gold medalist Ben Fui returns to the fold in the K1-1000 after quitting the sport in 2011 following a public bust-up with fellow New Zealand teammate Stephen Ferguson and the Canoe New Zealand management. However, Ferguson says their bad blood is a thing of the past and he'll line up alongside newcomer 21-year-old Daryl Fitzgerald in the K2-1000. Tennille Hatton will race in the women's K1-500, while Erin Taylor and Lisa Carrington will pair up in the K2-500. Carrington will also be searching for gold in her individual event, the K1-200, after becoming New Zealand's first ever women's kayaking world champion with victory at last year's World Champs in Hungary. I spoke to the 22-year-old about the pressure of being one of New Zealand's brightest gold medal prospects for London. There's a lot of pressure, but you know it's good pressure. I'm kind of, you've got to almost block that out. But you, I'm going to be away in Europe for three months, so that's going to probably be quite a good thing for me. But you know I'm just going to mainly focus on what I'm there to do, which is you know race and train as hard as I can and kind of come back home with a good result. Yeah. You'll be away competing in several World Cups before the Olympics. How do you stay on track for peaking for those Olympics while also wanting to perform? and the yeah. other races. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, the World Cups are going to be about practice, you know, learning about racing. So I think from those races we will take that, um, what we've learnt to the Olympics. So I think, you know, we've got three months from then, you know, and we're going to learn a lot in there. So ultimately we're going to be going a lot faster at, um, in London, yeah. And K200, it really is a sprint of all sprints. So I guess when it comes down to the day, how do you feel when you get out there into that boat? What are you trying to put through your head? And are you trying to dispel any thoughts of feeling overtired, <laughs> hadn't had the best sleep? You know, it comes down to just that one clutch race. There's no tournament, no games to find your form. Mm -hmm. How does that affect you and how do you prepare to just put yourself right to the line, the red line on that day? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of athletes talk about getting in the zone. So, you know, you've got to get in that zone. And I think it's about, you know, calming yourself right down. Everyone kind of prepares differently. So, and I think, you know, if, it won't matter how much sleep I had, whatever had, you know, what if things go wrong, you know, they, those things don't matter. It's whatever I do when I get on that water. And I think, you know, you're out there by yourself, which is quite a scary thing, but, you know, we, that's what we train for, so I've got to, you know, expect that, yeah. And obviously some of the crowds at the World Champs and whatnot would have been rather large, but probably nothing compared to what you'll come across in London. Do you think that will affect you guys at all, or how do you push that from your mind? Uh, you know, I think the crowds are great. Like, in, in Hungary it was big, because obviously kayaking is big in Hungary, which is great. They had their big drums going, and that's no, awesome. I think, you know, 
I don't even hear it. So it's good, you know, and I think to have that many people there, I think, you know, it would be awesome just to have that support, you know, mum and dad are going out and all our families. So, no, it would be really cool to have them out there. What about the whole Olympic experience? Obviously, you'd be staying in the Athletes' Village and rubbing shoulders with some of the world's fast and famous. Yeah. Usain Bolt, to name one. Yeah. Uh, would that experience, could that overwhelm some of you younger guys at all who haven't been to, a, to the Olympics before? Do you think that will just add to the excitement and probably add to your performances? Yeah, I don't know. You never know until you get there, I guess. You know, a lot of people have been warning us about what it's like, and it is overwhelming. But, you know, I think we get there, you know, focus on what we've got to do, you know, do the processes which make it easy so it would be awesome to see those people and get a bit like excited about it but you know ultimately it's um it's just an awesome experience and I think since I was little I've always been wanting to go so it'd be cool. And in terms of concentration you're not worried about the the big event producing any kind of disruption to you? Uh you know I think you kind of prepare for disruption and I think the good athletes you know they they're good with diversity so you know I think that's what I'm aiming for is just to you know take it in my stride and you know whatever happened what happens happens so you know it's um I think it will be fine and obviously it's it's quite easy to envisage your goal gold medal huh mm, yeah yeah that's ultimately what I'm going to go for I guess winning last year was great and I think um, it's going to be even harder. So no, it's going to be it's going to be a hard run, but I guess that's what we do it for. Mm. Being relatively new to the sport and already being a world champion, how do you, I guess, track your progress and improve towards the London Olympics? Um, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess over the K1 200, it has been um, the obviously we didn't we don't have the analysis and stuff, but you know I, what we've had has been really good. So we can with our sports scientists and stuff, and we kind of analyse that and you know we big things that we look at is kind of getting to our max speed as fast as we can so that's a good thing good measure so um as long as you know we're doing you know the we're ticking off the right boxes you know we'll be we'll be good have you set yourself goals in terms of any specific times that you want to achieve or is it more about your race sort of performance and your preparation yeah you know i think you know i'd love to just get really close to that world record you know i feel like it's in reach but ultimately on the day not many world records have been broken at the olympics so I can't expect, you know, I just, you know, winning is the main thing that we race for, but to kind of go really fast and get close to that world record will be great too. And why do you think people do tend to go slightly slower at the Olympics? Is it just the grandeur of the event? I'm not sure. It might just be that the conditions aren't right. For us, conditions, environment is a big factor, especially like with the wind and um, with the temperature of the water. So, you know, conditions might not have been right, yeah. You guys all look like you've got some quite nice sort of shoulders on you. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is that something that is um, you have to have to be a New Zealand kayaker, is it a um, decent set of shoulders? You don't have to, but it, it will help. Um, they, you probably develop them when you do become a kayaker, but also big guns is quite a... Yeah, everyone has big guns. <laughs> everyone has big guns? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and so what do you do in the gym to, to create those big guns and shoulders? Is it lots of little shoulder squats, <laughs> bicep curls? all the time or is it simply just a byproduct of your other training? Yeah definitely a byproduct. I don't purposely go to gym, the, the gym and try to do bicep curls you know it's just a byproduct yeah. <laughs> and how about taking on some of the other guys in the gym do you tend to sort of have a little bit of a male female rivalry at all? Uh, probably not so much in the gym but what we do love what I do love to do is race like Steve-O and um, in the starts which is really cool and I give them a bit of banter tell them I'm gonna beat them but you know they're boys so going to beat me. <laughs> and ultimately Stephen's uh, rather fast so probably not a bad person to be running up against. Yeah it's really good it's, and it's awesome it's uh, you know racing a guy you know that's um, you've got you know no expectations so it's really cool to race the guys yeah.
Okay, so where to now? What's the next step? Over to Europe? Yeah, definitely. We leave in a month to Europe, so we'll go there um, and race World Cups. Uh, we race two of them, one in Poland, one in Duisburg, and then we'll spend the next few months, two months, um, preparing for the Olympics over in Europe. Yeah. Whereabouts will you be based in Europe? Uh, we'll be based in Germany, so that will be really good being there. Hopefully the weather will be good, so it's usually a lot warmer. Um, yeah, and there's a course we can train on, so um, the water's really good there too. So. So once you leave these shores, you're not back till after the Olympics? Yeah, that's right. So we'll stay over there. I think it, um, it just works out a bit better staying over there. No chances, though, of becoming homesick? You're not worried about that at all? Yeah, I think, you know, that is on my mind. But, you know, there's always Skype, and but ultimately that's kind of what I have to do. So it's, yeah, it is on my mind, but it's at the end of the day, it's for a good cause, yeah. And if you do come away with that gold medal, has there been any uh, offers of rewards? Do you get to stay in Europe for a month paid holiday or <laughs> anything like that? Oh, I wish. No, nothing's been said. I don't really want to jinx it either. <laughs> Lisa Carrington. The West Coast Fever are the only Australian side not to have won the Trans-Tasman netball title in the four years the competition's been running. Given New South Wales, Adelaide, Queensland and Melbourne have all had their turn at the top, it could be the Perth-based franchise's time. While they have a young side and have caused few upsets in previous seasons, the recruitment of New Zealand netball's nemesis Norma Plummer to the coaching role and the move to Perth by veteran shooter Catherine Cox suggest things are on the improve. On Sunday, the Fever play last year's runners-up, the Northern Mystics in Auckland, and Stephen Hewson spoke to Norma Plummer about her new role after eight years being Australia's national coach. I'm enjoying the enthusiasm of the place. Um, you know, the, the job doesn't just entail the, the fever. It's about helping WA Netball look at all of their, um, you know, organisation overall and uh, what they might need going forward and working with their high-performance and so, you know, it's um, a little bit more involved. And I think um, at the moment, uh, you know, you'd have to be, say we'd have to all be pleased where it's sitting at the moment. Indeed. How different is it going back into that sort of day-to-day coaching? Oh, well, I love it. I mean, that's what I did all my life up till the, um, you know, get, taking on the, the Diamonds in 2004. So... Basically, um, you know, I'd had like five years straight at the AIS at that stage, just on the floor every day with the Australian Under-21 grouping. So, you know, I, I just find it rewarding. Is it different now that it's into this semi-professional environment? Um, oh, well, I guess, you know, we had the CBT and uh, it was always, although we players didn't get paid then, it was really in a professional environment without the money. So, you know, I guess we've had a National League that's uh, been around, and it was 11 years of that before we took on the ANZ. So um, netball here, I guess, has been at that standard for a while. And how are you feeling about the way things have gone? What, you've won one, lost one so far? Yeah, well, I said all along, um, uh, even to interviews in New Zealand, that I felt we'd be competitive the first half and be more dangerous the second half once we'd got together and been able to work together as a team. If, uh, you know, I've got probably up to four that are actually making their debut. So, you know, you can't put old heads on them, but they're great talents and they will learn very quickly. And, um, 
you know, overall, like just playing Vixens, I thought that was a great one for us to come up against straight away because I'd said to them after tactics that it would be a different story with the experience just in that team. You know, they're age 25 up to 32 or 3 or something and we're 25 and under except for Kath Cox. So um, there's a big difference in, you know, just how many games a lot of the, the uh, Vixens had played to us. So that's the that's about the only shortcoming. Um, apart from that, the team's a, a great team and they're, um, they're working really hard and uh, they're just learning. So that's where it sits at the moment for me. What have you made of the Firebirds start? I think they're going to miss Claire McMinimum. She, I think she was a major part of their team and uh, uh, she uh, opted to... Um, retire from netball and put more time into her career. So, um, you know, I think they're going to miss her because she always gave them an option on who, you know, how to bring them onto the court. But, um, oh, well, they're not the first team it's happened to and maybe they won't be the last. But, um, yeah, I thought they might have started better than that. But I don't think you can say um, there's an an out-and-out dead-set winner in this competition at this point in time um, you know I look at Pulse and they've got anything up to five players that are senior being in the Ferns you know one's a Diamond Squad member and there's five of them with total experience and then you look at Steele well you know just to uh, Jody Brown and, and Wilkins alone 30 and 33 I mean their first game was unbelievable I thought Donna Wilkins looked like a 20 year old but um, I'm not sure that happened again the second round but in the end you know they've got something like five players there with McLeod and um, Scanlon and um, the two shooters and uh, Finch, so you've got a they've got a lot of experience. So uh, you know, I think any any team on any given day could take another side at the moment. And at the start of the season, people were still sort of picking the Firebirds, but I mean, historically, as you say, no no teams managed to do back to back titles. In fact, the Fever are the only team, well, the only team not in Australia not to have won the title. Does that that must therefore make it your turn? Does it not? <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to say that, but yeah, you'd be dreaming if you thought it was just that easy, and it's far from that easy. So, um, you know, they've got to um, understand here that they've, there's a whole big culture change, and, um, you know, they, they actually didn't, um, looking at it since we got over here, they actually play a lot of netball here. You know, there's they have about three months a year, and... Uh, wonder why they haven't got a lot of top players coming through. I think, you know, if you're in Victoria, you play all year round. So there's quite a few things that have to change over here for them to actually keep bringing through quality of play of a player, you know. So um, there's quite a few things to change. The Northern Mystics you've got this weekend, they've had an um, interesting start to the season as well, haven't they? What have you made of them? Oh, look, they've got quality all over the court. I, I watched the tape last night and, you know, Tutaia was on fire and it was interesting that the two players they were playing on are the Ferns' defence end. And I thought they really were having a great battle, but, um, you know, Maria's shooting was was really good and, and Latu was moving well and, of course, Bubby was her usual self. She just kept delivering, you know, so... And Cullen's, uh, I think, is going to be an outstanding player. So they've got some talent there. You mentioned before there that you don't see an out-and-out 
favourite. Are, are there teams that you maybe see as having to, to watch out for? I mean, obviously, apart oh, well, from picking yourselves. Yeah, oh, no, I think I think the, the three that are on top at the moment are probably the, um, you know, Thunderbirds have come back with now having something like five diamonds in their team. So they're, they're basically, you know, pulled themselves right back to where they were. Um, mind you, they don't have any, too many South Australians playing in the team. I think it's about one. But um, in the end, you know, that's the name of the game now. So uh, they've been able to recruit well and um, and they'll work extremely hard to, to stay up there. And, um, of course, you know, Vixens, I think... Um, have you know just shown it with their backline with Coletto back? That's who they missed enormously last year. It's who I missed at the Commonwealth Games. I mean, and since she's been back from World Champs and on now, so I mean, she's a class player. She and she's she's always going to pull you in, you know, five or six for the day that uh, can turn it around. And um, so they've got her back, and of course that's just boosted them enormously. Magic are in the same boat as, as the Firebirds, aren't they? But still searching for yeah, that first one. Two games. I mean, uh, you, you really can't read a lot into it. You know, two games and everybody's still finding their feet. Um, you know, ours is really connection. It's just a matter of now of um, the younger ones understanding um, not to be overawed by who they're playing on. What, what are you looking forward to for this weekend? I think getting the players away. I think um, we've had um, all the parents and the boyfriends and you name it, they've been here for Easter. And um, I think if I can get them away now, I can pull back the focus and uh, we can do a bit of work over in New Zealand because we're going to stay... Um, We're going to stay over there before we go down to Dunedin. It would be ridiculous for us to fly home. Norma Plummer speaking to Stephen Hewson. And that's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website, while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.